important number to your life, and this number is 23,040. Safe to say no one thought about 23,040 today, uh, but it's something that you do every single day, 23,040 times a day. If you were to look at the average person, they take about 16 breaths uh, per minute, which is 960 breaths per hour, and over the span of any given day, you are taking 23,040 breaths per day. Now, most of us, we don't even think about taking that many breaths in any given day, but I think all of us would agree that breathing is pretty important to living. Now, I wanted to ask this question. If breathing is that important, we do it so much so often, we don't even think about it. What if prayer became like breathing? What if prayer in our lives became like breathing in our lives? One of the things that I read recently that really challenged me, convicted me, also inspired me was something that Martin Luther, who was a a pastor, author, theologian, uh, and wrote extensively on prayer, said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. His point in this sentence here is prayer is just as vital as breathing. If you're going to live, you're going to need to breathe. If you're going to do life in God and experience the fullness of life in God, it's not going to happen apart from prayer. It's really the one question I'm hoping to ask and answer today is how might prayer become like breathing to us? where prayer is something that is vitally important, but yet it's something that comes as natural to us. We don't have to think about it. It's just out of the overflow of how we do life. How might prayer become like breathing? Well, I think a good starting point to even answering that question would simply be to define prayer. And so let me just ask a very basic question of what is prayer? If someone were to ask you that question at work tomorrow or at school tomorrow or someone you live with, just asked you a very simple, very basic question, what is prayer? How would you begin to even answer, describe, define what prayer is? I'm going to guess that for some people, they would simply say, well, prayer is just conversation between you and God. In the same way that you and I are talking right now, That's similar to prayer. Prayer is as simple as just talking to God. I think some would say, I think prayer is just really kind of wishful thinking. You tell God what you'd like to see happen. You tell God what you'd like to see done, and you just kind of hope for the best. I think some people might say in terms of defining, describing prayer, you know, prayer's good. It's religious activity. It's something that we can do to maybe appease God. Prayer is something that we can do to impress God and maybe impress other people. You see, the list of how we might define and even describe what prayer is, uh, there could be many different descriptions and definitions. Uh, But if prayer is going to become like breathing to us, we really need to have a very clear understanding of how the Bible actually defines and describes what prayer is, because if there is misunderstanding of something, I can almost guarantee you where there's misunderstanding, there will also be misapplication. And I don't want there to be misapplication of how we think about prayer, because we've never stopped long enough to actually define what prayer is. 
So in order to, I think, rightly define what prayer is, um, I think the best place that we could look to would be the day that prayer began. If we go all the way back to the day that prayer began, we're going to have a really good understanding and definition of what prayer is. So in order to do that, we'd go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, and this is the day that we can discover that prayer began. But one of the things that you'll see very quickly as you turn to Genesis 4 is that prayer is designed for a broken world. Prayer is or was designed for a broken world. Because prior to man breaking relationship with God, there was no need for prayer. Man had perfect friendship, perfect relationship with God. They had no need because they had unhindered access to God, but all of that changed when humanity decided to sin against God and ultimately break relationship with God. So you're not going to find prayer in the garden. What you're going to discover is prayer outside the garden. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, this is the first time that we see prayer, what we can just simply call the day that prayer began. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 26 simply says this, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, this phrase, at that time, is really significant because it just signifies a definite start to something new, that prior to this moment in time, something had not been, but now at this specific point in time, something new is beginning. So I think the obvious question becomes, well, what was happening at this time that people began calling upon the name of the Lord. Now, I read to you Genesis 4, 26, kind of the second part of verse 26, but let me read the first part of Genesis 4, 26 to answer the question. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. To Seth had a son, and the son that he had was a son that he named Enosh. So the question is, why is the birth of Enosh this catalytic event that began prayer? What was it specifically about the birth of Enosh where people began in a way that they had never done before to actually call upon the name of the Lord, to begin praying? One of the things that I wrote down as a way to understand how to answer that question is this, the search for one particular offspring began. What began people praying is there was a specific search that was now taking place for one very particular offspring. See, when Adam and Eve, when they walked away from God, when they rebelled from God, broken fellowship now with God, God made a promise to them. And the promise that he made to them is that one day he would send a redeemer, someone that would literally crush the head of the serpent, meaning someone who would destroy for all time, forever, God's enemy, Satan. And so, and that promise, by the way, is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, when Cain, if Cain is the very first born child uh, of Adam and Eve, well, Cain unfortunately decided to murder his younger brother Abel. And now from Cain all the way through his lineage, that tragedy of just bloodshed just followed him from generation to generation. So it became really clear rather quickly 
Well, Cain clearly is not going to be God's redeemer. He's a murderer. And clearly Abel is not going to be God's redeemer either because he has been murdered by his brother. And so as you look at this early story of Genesis chapter 4, you begin to see this growing sense or even a hunger for God to fulfill his promise of sending a promised redeemer, someone who would literally crush the head of their enemy. And so what does all of this historical Genesis context have to do with prayer? Specifically, how does this actually define what prayer is for us? You need to understand in Genesis 4, when it says, when people began to call upon the name of the Lord, that is to say, when people began to pray, they did so with one thing in mind. God, we're calling on you because we need you and want you to be faithful to fulfill your promise. So the best definition or description that I could give you of what prayer is, uh, is from an author, Jerry Gay Miller, Jerry Gar- J. Gary Miller, who wrote a great book on prayer called Calling on the Name of the Lord. And he said this, prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. I love the simplicity, but I love that that is a biblical picture of what prayer is. Prayer is calling on God to come through on what he promised that he would do. So prayer, it's not just wishful thinking. Prayer is more than just religious activity, and clearly prayer is more than just the created having some casual conversation with its creator. Prayer is calling upon God to do what God said he would do. Every time we pray, prayer is calling upon God to do what he committed to actually doing. If you were to call 911, you probably know why you're calling 911. You know who they are, you know what they're there for, you know why they exist. Now, if I were to call 911, which I've had to before, the first response when you call is, 911, what's your emergency? Now, if I were to call 911 and said, well, listen, I've got a little bit of a dilemma here, I can't decide which movie I should go to tonight. I'm wavering back and forth between seeing, wanting to see Aquaman, which I heard is good, and actually wanting to see Mary Poppins, which I'm not so sure about. So I'm calling just to get a, an opinion on what you think I should do in terms of what movie I should see. It's a pretty good chance that 911 would say to me, man, don't you know who we are? Don't you know what we are actually here for? Call upon us when you actually have an emergency. See, 911 is based, uh, we call 911 based upon who we know them to be and what they have promised to do. What they've promised to do is help when there is an emergency, and obviously, seeing one or the other movie would not be construed as an emergency. And so, in a very somewhat similar way, I want you to see that prayer is calling on God in ways that are consistent with who God is and what God is actually like. And prayer is calling upon God to be true to the promises that he has made. And so I just would ask us to think, when you call upon God, that is to say, when you pray, are you praying in ways that are consistent with who God is, of praying, calling upon him in ways that are consistent with his character and consistent with the promises that he has made. 
Is that what prayer looks like for you? See, if prayer is going to become like breathing, vitally important to life with God, but also something that is now coming more and more natural to us, well, then in many ways, the journey of prayer is also going to be a discovery about God and about who God is and what God is like and the promises that God has made. And here's the thing. When you begin to grow in your understanding of who God is, his character, his heart, what he is like, and when you begin to grow in your awareness and knowledge of the promises that God has made to his people, you will have a hard time not praying. It's kind of like breathing. When you discover that breathing is good, you did it over and over 23,000 times a day. No one needed to tell you to do it. You just did it. And I, I see this with prayer. When we begin to just discover, whether for the very first time or afresh, of the beauty and the power, the majesty, the awesomeness of who God as creator is. And when you begin to understand the promises that he has made to us as his people, we're going to have a hard time not praying. Prayer will become a natural overflow of our understanding and awareness of who God is and what God is like and what he has promised. And so one of the things that I'm learning afresh as I'm learning prayer in this season is this, his word illuminates how we pray. If I am not getting to know God and understanding who he is and certainly not understanding the promises, well, it's a good chance I'm going to have a really hard time praying. But as I'm getting to know God and how he's revealed himself to us in his word and the promises he, as he's made, his word actually illuminates, it inspires, it encourages, it motivates me in how we all pray. Wanted to give you a few examples of some scripture verses that I often think about and pray through in light of this is who God is, and this is what God has promised. It says in Isaiah 43, verse 10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. So I'm able to pray in light of that verse, God, in light of who you are, that you are strong. God, that you are powerful. There is no reason that I need to live and walk in discouragement. So God, I'm coming to you, the one who said you are strong and all-powerful. And God, I'm asking, claiming the promise that you have made, that in you and with you, I don't need to be discouraged. Or when I read, I, I pray this almost throughout the day in James, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. So God, you promised that when I come to you, the God who has all wisdom, and I ask you for understanding, when I ask you for discernment, when I ask you for wisdom, and not just worldly wisdom, but like wisdom from above. God, you promised to give me the wisdom that I'm lacking. And not only that, you promised that there is no rebuke for coming to you and asking for wisdom. Or when I pray in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So God, 
rather than me walking around with all sorts of guilt and shame and feeling like I just need to hide and just beat myself up over and over again for my sinfulness or my selfishness or my stupidity, God, you promised that when I come to you, a God who is just faithful and just, forgiving, God, that you will forgive me not just for one sin or a few sins, but God, you forgive me for everything. It just gives me so confidence to pray, call upon the one who is forgiving, and I get to walk in the forgiveness, not hide in guilt and shame. Or how about in Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? God, your word informs me that you are light and you are salvation. So the situation, the story, the circumstance I'm in right now, I have no need to be afraid. No matter how dark the darkness feels to me right now, God, I'm coming to you, the one who is light and salvation, because you promise that I do not have to walk in darkness. Or how about in Psalm 86 when it says, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. God, it says in your word that you are not just have some love, but you are abounding, overflowing in love. And so, God, I'm coming to you, the one who is abounding, overflowing in love. That the help I need, it comes from you. Or how about if you looked at the very last prayer prayed in Scripture? It says in Revelation 22, he who is faithful, the faithful witness to all of these things says, this is Jesus speaking, yes, I am coming soon. And then the final prayer offered up in scripture is, amen, come Lord Jesus. So I can go to God and say, God, you promised that Jesus would come back. And so my prayer is, Jesus, in the midst of so much brokenness, in the midst of so much pain, in the need for so much reconciliation, Jesus, would you come back and restore all things? See, prayer is calling upon God to come through on the promises that he has made. And if we're going to learn and grow in prayer where prayer becomes like breathing, so vital to how we live, but also so natural to just the ebb and flow of our day, it's a discovery of learning who God is, what he's like, and the promises that he's made. In this 21 days of prayer, uh, the circle that we decided to pray together for as a church uh, was the phrase or the two words, new life. And what we mean by new life is we know that there are many people in our lives, people that we live with or around, people that we work with or study with, that really have no idea who God is and what God is like who do not know the compassion, the care, the concern, the love that God has for them. There are so many people who do not know that God's made a way for people to have relationship, friendship with God, not through works and not through religion and not through being moral and pious, but through faith in Christ. And so our heart as a church was to say, God, we want to pray for new life. Because anytime someone comes into contact, relationship with Jesus, a new life begins. And we as a church, we want to circle that in prayer. We want to cover that in prayer for 21 days specifically. One of the passages uh, that is so encouraging to me, and I want to spend about 10 minutes as a 